This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, hello. This is Ray Harkins, and you're listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. You will also hear my gardener outside because no matter what, anytime I decide to record this introduction, they will always be working. <laughs> but, anyways, the guest this week, holy moly, this is an awesome one. Jason Gleason. He is the, uh, vo- well, yeah, I guess old vocalist of Further Seems Forever. I mean, they're not really, well, I guess they're an active band now because Chris Carabas sings for them. But yes, so he, uh, he sang for Further Seems Forever for a while, also played in a band called Action Reaction and Old Wives. And uh, Jason's just a real interesting guy. I met him on tour once, and we connected pretty quickly, and I found him to be uh, a great guy. And I just loved talking to him because I think many people looked at him as being this uh, you know, sort of transient, difficult-to-work-with singer in Further Seems Forever. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't know, I just don't think that that was a, a, a proper characterization of who he is as a person, but more, more on him in a moment. Let's, uh, let's, I, I have things that are on my mind that I want to speak to you about. One of them is rockabilia.com. They undoubtedly have further seems forever merch. They undoubtedly have your favorite bands merch that you probably have never seen before because they got exclusive designs. They have half a million items across everything you could possibly imagine from long sleeve shirts to hoodies, hats, posters. You can think of it. They probably have it. PC Jabberjaw will get you 15% off. That's the code, obviously. You know, a checkout. You put PC Jabberjaw, boom, 15% off your first order. And it's, uh, it's a great way to show that company love because they got officially licensed designs. And I, I know I say that a lot, but that is a really, really meaningful thing because uh, there's a ton of horrible, horrible bootlegs that exist. And uh, Rockabilia is not one of them. They're the real deal. I love ordering from them. I love getting merch from them. And you should too. So Rockabilia, mad props, mad love to your company for supporting this show and all the other Jabberjaw podcast shows that are out there. So before we talk to Jason, I, I'm struggling. I'm not going to lie. There's been a, um, a, a large struggle that I've had in regards to uh, my, my child. And, uh, you know, he's seven years old and trust me, this is going to tie back into, uh, most of you that are, you know, don't have children or like what the, what, what, why are you complaining about this? But I think we can all kind of inherently see, uh, the, the experience of watching, human beings grow up, you know, whether that's brothers or sisters or whatever the case may be. So he's, he's seven years old. He's a really, they, <laughs> when I say they, I like to call him, he's bright and sensitive. So he is, uh, you know, a really smart kid, very perceptive. Uh, but he is unconventional as far as like, you know, he's not incredibly athletic, which is fine. I'm not judging him, just calling it like it is. And uh, he's also, uh, you know, he's he's very fearful of a lot of things, like uh, t- TV commercials. He finds certain, you know, movie previews objectionable. And there's, there's just certain things that we as parents have to kind of watch out for. And we've started recently taking him to therapy because some of these things are, uh, you know, what we would define as unmanageable, where it's like you know, if you can't walk into a, a Target without being fearful of the televisions that are in the back of the store, then, you know, we have to try to work through this. So uh, just watching human beings kind of figure out who they are and the things that they're scared of and the things that they are, are, are trying to figure out is just, all of us feel that way. 
you know, like we as adults are able to either mask it or hide it better. Um, but when you're watching this, this little human being figure out the difficulties in life, like it's heartbreaking a lot of the times. And I struggle with it because I see, you just want to be able to take that fear away. Just like I'm sure you have people in your life that you want to take, you know, depression, you know, all of these things that we exist in, you just want to take it away from people. Um, but it's definitely magnified when it is this, this little human being, because you're just like, Oh man, I, I wish I could just, I wish I could just push you through it. So if you are struggling, whether it's yourself, whether it's the people you care about, I get it. I understand. You can email me 100 words podcast at gmail.com. If you want to talk about it, uh, or offer words of support, whatever it is that, uh, you compels you to reach out. I always love to meet people who listen to the show and I appreciate all of you who check it out and frankly, uh, care about me as a human. You know, <laughs> I really do appreciate that because I've been able to create some pretty great relationships based around this podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just love that. So, yeah, the struggle is real. The human existence is is tough. And uh, the only way that we can get through it is by the support and love from people around us, whether it's friends or family, uh, or whether it's like professional medical help, whatever the case may be, we're all trying to, um, you know, find that comfort and find that solace in who we are as humans, you know? So anyways, I just had to get that off my chest. But uh, Jason Gleason, so I, I tracked him down. I, I went on, I Facebook messaged the guy, which is, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, uh, digging for gold on social media when I'm like, man, you know, I don't know this person's email. The phone number I have is like super old. So I just, uh, out of, uh, on a whim, just hit him up on Facebook messenger and he hit back relatively quickly and was like, Oh, Ray, you know, nice to hear from you. Uh, this sounds interesting. Like let's hop on the phone and talk about it. Um, and you know, not, not airing too much dirty laundry, but basically he has had, um, you know, negative, uh, experiences with certain press in the past. And of course I, you know, even though technically I am a journalist, as far as the documentation of this is concerned, you know, this is not uh, true journalism in the sense of, um, you know, I'm looking for clicks and hits and, you know, I gotta, I gotta support my, my listenership and whatever, you know, I'm just doing this because it's fun and, you know, it has afforded me, uh, creative opportunities and all that other stuff. But anyway, so set it up for Jason and he was like, yeah, that sounds good. We can do it. And we had a great conversation. Uh, cause like I said, Jason is a very interesting person. Uh, I really, really enjoy the record that he's saying on for further seems forever. He's an old punk and hardcore kid. And that's kind of where his, uh, well, not kind of, that's absolutely where his background is and where it continues to be. And, uh, yeah, he just checking in on what he's doing with his life as well, which is a uh, restaurant touring. So, um, in upstate New Jersey. So anyways, that is what's up with Jason. And I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, oh gosh, I promised to myself, I wouldn't say that without further ado, every podcast host says that, right? So anyways, here's the chat we have with Jason. So I think it was, uh, was it like 2000, I don't know, seven when we did those like couple dates together, uh, with action reaction and my other band Makoto, I think we may have done stuff together. That, that sounds, that sounds right. 2006, 2007. 
Yeah, I was I was trying yeah. to f- figure that 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 time frame out, but uh, I just remember I was I was stoked because we were you know scheduled to do those couple dates with you, and I was like, oh yeah, I was looking forward to meeting you because I had uh, you know you and I had mutual friends, and we just kind of existed in the same scene together. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure this happens to you sometimes, where uh, you know people you already you already go into meeting a person with preconceived notions, good or bad, you know, just being like, oh, this person's already a friend with my one of my friends so of course they'll be cool um sure and but at that time it was also interesting just because it seemed you know you were especially that band was kind of a um you know pushback of like hey you know i experienced all this stuff in further seems forever and i just kind of want to do my own thing and i'm through with uh you know the proverbial scene drama that happens with a lot of bands and stuff like that um is is, is that kind of accurate where your headspace was at that time uh that was um, yeah, I actually, when I left further, I moved to New Jersey and had intended on starting a project and actually got pretty far into a project, maybe about 20 songs or so written, um, with a band that I think we ended up calling, what the hell, like, uh, these ships have holes, I think. Yeah. It was after a Bjork song. Um, but it was very like insert breakdown here and like you know this is the heavy part and this is the this part it was it was very i don't want to call it like formulaic but um it just kind of wasn't really hitting me at the time and i kind of didn't emo thing or the 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 like scene thing anymore i mean it was never guy i grew up in the hardcore scene uh you know going to hardcore shows metal shows punk shows the whole aesthetic. Uh, obviously, I had your swoopy black hair thing going on and further seems forever. Um, but it's funny because the music that I was always listening to, like, yes, I listened to, you know, all the scene bands and stuff uh, from from time to time. I liked a lot of the older stuff. Like I was a huge like Sunny Day Real Estate fan. And like, um, you know, when you're talking about like the emo bands and stuff, I enjoyed Fugazi and Rites of Spring and, and all the kind of earlier more discordant kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, like further van, like we were listening to like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and the Beatles and, and um, you know, Fiona Apple and, and you know, sure. uh, a whole sort of amalgamation of other artists that didn't exist in the scene that we were in. Um, we listened to Fugazi like every day and like, uh, I didn't, I know they are a scene band, but they're kind of, it wasn't the same scene that we were and further was also kind of, they were, they were a tad older than me as well, uh, when I was playing with them. So when I left, uh, and went to start my own thing, it was cool, but it was not really what I was looking to do. Really. I was looking to do something that was a little bit more colorful, uh, and, and a little bit more kind of maybe expressive musically. I don't mean expressive in an emotional way. I just mean, kind of, uh, I guess colorful was probably the best, uh, word to use to describe what I was kind of going for. Um, then I sort of also adopted this mentality, although it didn't really, I don't think it came to fruition with action reaction. Um, that I really just wanted the music to be what it was and, and not really try to like force an identity on it. Um, and like a name and, a th- things of that nature were going to kind of the look and the feel of the music was written. 
Uh, and I had intended to sort of make the music in a little bit more of an organic way uh, than, than sort of like, you know, insert breakdown here kind of thing. So yeah, that was definitely my headspace uh, leading further and doing the action reaction thing was, was to do something a bit different or a bit more me, I guess, or a bit more natural. Yeah. I mean, it it makes total sense, especially from, you know, I mean, I appreciate you laying out the different, you know, iterations of the, the styles of music that you're into. Cause you know, at like, I, you know, my outward perception and no, you know, us having mutual friends is like, you know, you, you first and foremost are a hardcore kid, you know, like, and that, yeah. and then you, you think further seems forever. And like, you know, I think anybody that watched you during those years, you know, can see the sensibility of that, um, you know, of just, you know, oh, we were hardcore, yeah, exactly. Like that's what, that's how I viewed it. And so, you know, I mean, I know we had the look and I know I was singing and I know I was like, you know, singing about like, well, I didn't really sing about girls that often, to be honest with you, but you know, that, that sort of mentality, but we always thought we were a hardcore band or we always thought that we were more, that we were almost like a prog rock band, like something in the vein of like, yes. Right. Or like, you know, one of those more like in, in time signatures and, you know, choppy breakup here. And, and it wasn't really like, you know, it was less formulaic. A lot of that has to do with both Josh and Steve. Uh, Josh Colbert uh, is sort of the impetus uh, on most of the songs that were ever written with Further. He's a, he's a guitar player. Um, friggin' fabulous, fabulous songwriter. Um, and then Steve has just this really weird, interesting way of looking at things where uh, who knows where the hell he comes up with some of these drum beats and how he like feels the stuff that, but him and Josh would play together quite a lot. And we always thought it was like, yeah, we were a hardcore band or we're like a proggy hardcore band. It just happened to sing. Uh, and I screamed a bit too, but like, yeah, the mentality was always we're a hard right. grew up in hardcore. Yeah, so. no, no, totally. I mean, that, then anybody that kind of followed the trajectory of, um, who everybody was that was contributing to the band could kind of see that. But then, yeah, the, it, it makes sense when you get viewed through a different prism from the, you know, the popularity of a band uh, rising. And then it, then it kind of takes on this different form of just like, well, like, yeah, we are this band that, you know, is, is popular and people are paying attention, but like, you know, you don't feel like a different person on the inside. No, definitely not. And I think that kind of like goes to, Something I've always really kind of despised in 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 being a musician or, or or playing in a band is that well, there's a couple things, but the big thing really is that like whenever you tell somebody that you're in a band, they ask you they ask you a very specific question every single time. What do you sound like, or what band do you sound like? And if you just tell them something like, "Well, we," that's not sufficient enough to be like, "Oh, I'm." Um, you know, I think when you're in a band and you're in the the industry and you're, you know, doing the label and management and booking agent and lawyers and, and you're like in that world and it's very business, um, you know, some of that more esoteric stuff doesn't really fly because it's like, we, you have pressures to like look a certain way or like you have to literally look at that guy in his friggin' face. This is an action reaction, uh, 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 little story or tidbit. But yeah, when you got to sit down at a desk across from a guy and he literally can look at you with a straight face and be like, 
Well, I don't really think this is single quality because, well, could you maybe just make the first verse a little shorter? I'm kind of a little miffed that the chorus doesn't come in until about 49 seconds. Just a little earlier, that'd be good. It's like, you know, I mean, that's like the industry. There's all these pressures to like be something or like be like, you know, we, pr- we sound just like Jimmy Eat World. It's like, oh, cool. I know what that sounds like. I'll get into it. But like, you know, I think what the scene kind of like morphed into after the fact, why we started, you know, why we picked up microphones and guitars and, and started like making noise in the first place. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, no. Ab- Losing sense anyways, you know? Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. So, yeah, that that's actually a good uh, a segue to uh, kind of focusing on you as a person. So were you born and raised in the Minneapolis area or where did you come <laughs> yeah. up? No, I, yeah, I was born and raised in Minneapolis, Got Min- it. Minnesota through and through. Nice, nice. And what was your family structure like growing up? Like were mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Yeah, very interesting upbringing. Um, I was, uh, my mom had me very young, so I was an only child for uh, for a hot minute till I was about seven. She married my dad, then I had sisters come along uh, when I was seven, and the next sister came along when I was nine. And then my little brother when I was 12. Um, but I also had older step siblings as well, uh, from my dad's side, um, kind of equally spaced on the other side, seven years, nine years and 12 years, uh, older. So I was an only child for a while. Then I was like the young brat kid. And then I was the middle child. And then, uh, I'm kind of like older, older brother to, uh, to my younger siblings as well. So, kind of got a interesting family structure and yeah, mom and dad were around while I was growing up. Um, so it was like a, you know, wholesome suburban living. Um, I grew up about, uh, 15, 20 minutes outside of Minneapolis in a town called Maple Grove. Um, which, uh, I'm told after I had left, had sort of become like the, the sort of scene haven, uh, of, of, the town there was a, a bunch of us in high school that sort of kick-started maybe like hardcore happening in in the suburbs uh, it was already happening downtown minneapolis obviously but we were sort of the younger newer wave i had a hardcore band in high school called affinity and uh we would like play like the school cafeteria and like That's you know so rad. <laughs> put, a, put a show on in the school cafeteria there was like 200 people there um, and then all of a sudden everybody started listening to like, you know, all the stuff we were listening to at the time. Uh, and then, you know, I'd have kids come up and be like, yo, I checked out Gorilla Biscuits, man. They're super cool. And like, like, yeah, they are, they are, man. Why was, this is so weird. Hardcore happening in high school. Like, um, but yeah, apparently a venue popped up like a couple of years after I had left and it was like. Where all the hardcore, that's where all the scene bands were playing, uh, like in, in Minneapolis. I thought that was really funny, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was like suburban. When I was a kid, it was like there was a Dairy Queen and a Kmart, and like that was about it. And like maybe like one other little strip mall. And then by the time I was in high school, Maple Grove was like this huge suburb, and now it's like the biggest suburb of uh, of Minneapolis at this point. So it was kind of a, it was interesting. It was rural, but you know. Close enough to the city, close enough to the city to be awesome, but rural enough to, to go like have adventures in the woods and like, you know, 
yeah, feel see a stick, see a stick and be like, that's a sword or that's a yeah. you know, fort device or like, you know, not just like, oh, that's a stick. Where's my cell phone? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, no, uh, for sure. I, I like I like that. It's interesting that you, uh, you, you the way that you speak about your ebbs and flows within, you know, your own family structure, because it is um, you don't reflect on it until you're older. But it is interesting when you get thrust into these situations of. Like, oh, yes, you're being the older, you know, caretaker or you're, you know, like you said, you're the only child. And then you have to get used to the idea of, you know, sharing stuff more and like how yeah. how, how you were able to kind of, I, I guess, work through that. Like, it, did, did you find yourself, um, I, I guess, being in those situations, being like, oh, man, I wish it was the way it was before. Or did you not have the, you know, I mean, you're a child, so it's not like you have perspective. But did you think that at all? I mean, oh man, when my little sister Cora came along, oh hell yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> what is this? What? What the hell is that? Like, you know, like, um, which is funny because I mean, I was, I'm considerably older than them too. So we didn't really have, I was more of the caretaker. I mean, I was a little young to babysit when they were babies, but by the time I was like, you know, in middle school and stuff, I was like babysitting them and like, you know, changing diapers and whatnot and, and, and taking care and, and doing the, like the like big brother thing. Um, but we never really, they were, they were too young at the time. And I left town when I was, uh, it was like two days after my 19th birthday, uh, is when I moved to Florida. Um, so it was interesting. Now we're super close. Like we're, we're, we're super close friends, but that sort of relationship developed, uh, way later, a, cause I wasn't there and B cause I was a lot older, but mm-hmm. yeah, when they first came along, I was like, I got to share stuff. I'm not the center of attention anymore. And I mean, if you know, now it's fine, but for a kid, I'm sure, you know, it was a, it was a tad dramatizing. I definitely, uh, cut the hair off her Barbie dolls and, and did your classic <laughs> big, big brother stuff, you know? Yeah. Right. Um, right. a passage stuff. <laughs> exactly. If you think you can hang in this family, like you gotta, you know, sacrifice yeah. your Barbie. Right. That's it. Yeah. Right. Right. What did your, uh, so, so did you, it sounds like you kind of, your, your parents were together, but then you had stepbrothers and sisters. So like how, how did that kind of transpire? So that, so my dad had three kids, uh, from a previous marriage. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Or my, I guess my stepdad, um, I was just called him dad cause I didn't know anybody else. So, and he raised me and taught me how to throw a baseball and a football and you know, all all the good dad stuff. So, right. Right. Um, so yeah, so he had had kids from a previous marriage. Uh, and then obviously he and my mom got together and started dating. I think I was like two or three and got married when I was six, I think. Um, so he was always just, you know, he was dad. dad. Yeah. 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 Was was your, was your biological father like not even remotely close to being in the picture or is he in the picture at all? Uh, never met him actually. Oh, okay. Uh, and you don't know who he is and never been curious. Uh, oh yeah. I've been curious. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really, um, let sleeping dogs knows lie. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Let sleeping dogs lie. And it's, it's funny. Like, um, when I was first starting to ask questions when I was like in my mid twenties, like, which seems like such a late time to start asking questions, but, uh, you know, it was weird. Like I didn't want my dad to be like upset or feel like unworthy or something. Um, totally. cause it was never, honestly, if, if I did want to like find out who my dad was, it really would purely be for, uh, just curiosity. Mm-hmm. And am I going to die of some weird cancer? Yep. 
you know, health, health things. That's kind of about it. Um, cause my dad's, my dad's my dad. And I mean, he was, I didn't know any other dad and he was a totally kick-ass, amazing dad. So totally. I, so I don't, I never really felt the need to like find my father or what, you know, the quest was never really for that. It was mostly just curiosity when I got older, like, Hmm. Yeah, where did I come from? Totally, you totally. Know? Yeah, and no, I, I get the. Why do I not look like anyone else in my family? Like, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But I, I do get the the uh, mentality in which you were approaching that because you know here's this person who you respect and love like a father, and you you, you know you're like I, I don't want to I don't want to bum this dude out because I'm just like curious. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, and we had talked about it, and he was always like, "Oh no, Jay, you're fine, and you know, no big deal." <laughs> I don't think he really it would have really bothered him. But for some reason in my head, I felt like I was like going to let him down or something by yeah. needing to find a, a father figure or something. But yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Um, and so uh, you, this is kind of me just making a, uh, you know, gross characterization of you, but you've always struck me as a, you know, pretty, uh, thoughtful person as far as like, you know, you're comfortable to be kind of, you know, in your own head. Um, whereas, you know, on the opposite side of things, there's a lot of people who, you know, can't ever, be in a room by themselves because they need, you know, outside simulation or whatever. Um, and you've always been attracted to clearly, you know, like subculture art and stuff like that. Um, is, is that kind of a a correct characterization or is that something that you kind of grew more into as you got older? No, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good characterization. Um, I I like outside stimulus. Uh, I also have no problem being alone. I, I guess I feel pretty comfortable with myself i don't know am i on the like doctor's like uh, my case lounge right now you, yeah you're picking I, up my brain you picking I, up my brain bro i know um <laughs> well i just because I, I find it interesting because i think the only reason that i i do this sort of you know amateur psychiatry because i wouldn't even characterize it like that but i you know sometimes yeah. people uh, you know kind of i mean people always grow into themselves like as they sample out different you know lifestyles and subcultures or whatever but you know sometimes a per like it's just kind of inherently who this person is of the, you know, the stereotypical uh, indoor type of a person who might get attracted to weird subculture stuff like we have, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been the sort, even when I was very younger to sort of like beat of my own drum kind of, kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I feel comfortable in my headspace. I think, you know what it is uh, when I, when I first got into hardcore, I was always into music. Um, you know, there's home videos of me as a little kid, like with a white glove and a red jacket on and like doing all the dance moves and knowing every word to Michael Jackson's thriller. And like, you know, my biggest hobby when I was, when I was a child, like when I was young, four and five years old, six years old was playing with my dad's records. Um, and sort of like listening to them, and then just being fascinated even more at a later age, like eight, nine, 10 fascinated with like the people's names and what instruments they played. And, you know, wow, that's really interesting. What is that instrument they're using in the back? And like, you know, uh, who recorded it and where they record. And, you know, I just sort of like, I became very obsessed in that world of like music and how it's made and like, and sort of art, I guess, or like, you know, pondering the soul and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think thoughtful and comfortable with myself is, is, uh, obviously everyone goes through times being uncomfortable with themselves or, you know, 
you learn things about yourselves that you don't necessarily like or, or, or yada, yada. But no, for the most part, yeah, definitely pretty, pretty comfortable just being me. Cool. cool. Um, and, and like, like you said, the, uh, you know, the, the suburb life that you, the, the rural suburb life that you were living, you know, was enjoyable because you kind of had this uh, touchstone of a large city being close, but then also, you know, felt the connectivity to, you know, doing, you know, dirty outdoor stuff or whatever. Um, was the, you know, I guess how did, uh, you know, independent music get introduced to you in the first place? Like clearly there was a love for music as you just illustrated, but you know, how did the kind of, you know, weird stuff start to seep into your life? Sure. So when I was in sixth grade, I became friends, uh, with this, uh, with this kid, uh, actually no, it was seventh grade with, uh, Kevin call who I know, you know, Kevin as well. Um, yep. Uh, played in season of fire, uh, was in, uh, the hardcore band that I was in, in high school affinity. Um, I guess was in an early iteration of it. The band went through a couple iterations, but, um, um, yeah, I'm, he was like, yo, you got to check this band out. Uh, they're called harvest and you know, it's so heavy, but it's just, you know, it's so awesome. And you know, his, his older sister's boyfriend, this guy, uh, Dave Corey, um, was, was into the scene and had been seeing hardcore and punk shows since the eighties and, and, uh, uh, and even even early 90s. And I think that's kind of how Kevin was introduced. But Kevin's really the one that pulled me into the fold um, and showed me I'm trying to remember some of the first stuff we were listening to. Harvest, definitely. Strife, um, Earth Crisis, One King Down. Uh, you know, those those were sort of the bands that we were we were digging on. And, you know, maybe a couple weeks after he had showed me and sort of introduced me to this world of like, you know, straight like cathartic passion screaming heavy like onslaught of of emotion and and this sort of like thing that was going on i was like hooked immediately i was like oh my god this is so cool and and uh maybe like two weeks after he first showed me that i went to my first hardcore show um which is an interesting hardcore show because uh, we, me and Kevin went with, uh, with Dave and, uh, Dave Corey and his older sister, Emily, and sort of introduced us into the scene. It was, uh, it was on the university of Minnesota campus. I don't remember the name of the venue. Um, but it was kind of like a basement slash VFW hall, kind of cramped and damp and, 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 uh, creepy little spot where they do uh, hardcore shows, which I thought was so cool at the time. I mean, I was 15 years old. Um, and, uh, yeah, went to this show. We were supposed to see Harvest was the headliner, um, but the first band that played was a uh, was a local band, and I always mess it up. I think it was, well, Fall Silent was the band from Nevada, right? Oh yeah, from Reno. Okay, so Silent Fall was the band from Minneapolis. Yeah, that's I totally forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so right, so they uh, so they were they opened the show, um, and two songs into their set. Uh, this guy, Jay Schley, who, uh, who was a big, uh, BMXer, uh, in, in the scene. I think he, uh, he started X up magazine, which was a, a little, you know, zine that was going around for a while. Uh, he was, everybody was in the pit and it was the first time I'd ever seen like a pit with like dudes doing windmills and picking up change and whatnot. And, uh, basically Jay Schley did this like roundhouse kick, caught Dave Corey right in the face and knocked his tooth out. Um, brutal. So that was, that was the end of the show. Um, 
Dave Corey obviously was bleeding out the mouth and, and it was, it was bad and we had to leave. Uh, and Jay Schley then was forever known in the scene as kick you in the teeth, Jay Schley. Uh, and that was sort of my first hardcore experience, which it was so like momentary, but it was like so wildly impactful on my life and sort of set a trajectory for, you know, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And like, I just thought it was so cool that there was this like counterculture, uh, of people who were doing this thing that like nobody, it was almost secret at the time. Um, and they were literally just playing whatever they wanted to play. And, and it was generally accepted. Um, and there was like a brotherhood to it. And there was like, uh, I don't know, almost like, like joining a motorcycle gang or something. Like there was some, like, there was such camaraderie and like such open arms to like us 15 year old kids. And I'm sure for a while it was like, Oh, the kids and they're going to ruin our scene. And you know, the stuff I say now, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, it was just, it was such an incredible experience in my life. That first show, like I, I, I like remember the smells almost like what was going on. And, and it was just, uh, it was super profound and impactful, uh, onto, to my life and, and the kind of music I would choose to make from that point forward. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, and yeah, like, that's incredible. New Jason all of a sudden, you know? Right. Exactly. Well, I, I do, I, I do love those moments that, you know, you have in your head, whether it's, you know, first shows, first records, just because it is, you know, you're, you're running off such high emotions because of your age. And then when you discover something that you feel like is your own and you take ownership over that and not everybody else around you understands it, you feel like you're in this secret society that like has all the solutions to solve all the problems in the world. And you're just like, dude, I know, like, I know everything. How come everyone else isn't into this? <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> totally. I know. And it's funny because there's, there's part of that. Like, I want to share this with people. And then there's also where it's like, but maybe I don't, right. you know, maybe, maybe, I want, maybe I want this to be mine. Totally. Like, totally. You know, I think, I think that's kind yeah. of like a common thread through the scene. Like you, you hear people, like, well, like I was just saying, like, you know, the older guys, like, oh, these kids coming in here and, and, you know, youngins and whatnot. And back in my day, and, you know, yeah. they never actually got to see Gorilla Biscuits and, like, uh, <laughs> right. You know, which is funny because that's the first hardcore band I fell in love with. Uh, mm-hmm. And, like, really, really just like inside and out, left and right. Like, that's so cool. Uh, I'll never forget the first time. Big mouth, you know, tune big mouth, and they're like, yeah, you know, yo, you got a big mouth, put a bow, and I, I just, I thought that was so fucking cool, and like, totally, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, you're like, I'm, I'm all on board, man. Um, I like it hard, fast, right, right. Oh, I'm very excited to tell you about the sound of vinyl. It's no surprise that vinyl is a huge part of my life and many other people's because it sounds incredible, looks great, and it's fun to collect. The only problem is, is there's so much out there, but that is where the Sound of Vinyl comes in. Their mission is to help you build the perfect collection. They got a website where you can shop over 20,000 titles and an amazing recommendation service that can learn about your personal taste and offer personalized suggestions of records that you'll love. It works over text message. It's super simple. They'll text you an offer for an album, and if you want to buy it, all you have to do is reply yes. You can even text back to chat with a real live human who can help you find the perfect record. Plus, they got collectible, limited edition colored vinyl that you won't find anywhere else from artists like Weezer, B-52, 
Beach Boys, John Coltrane, Aerosmith, R.E.M., Kiss, and so much more. Plus, there are no subscription fees and no commitments. Give it a try. Go to soundofvinyl.com slash words and sign up for the tech service to get $5 off your first record. Again, that is soundofvinyl.com slash words for 5 bucks off your first record. I cannot tell you how cool this service is. I've bought multiple records from there. I got the Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream reissue on Double LP. It's beautiful. I got the Killers Hot Fuss record. Basically, this is the perfect service for people who are just starting their collection or people like myself who have over a thousand copies. Well, not a thousand copies, but a thousand pieces of vinyl. And I'm trying to fill some holes. So soundofvinyl.com slash words. I love this service and so will you. Okay, now on with the show. So kind of, you know, as you were going through high school and like you said, you know, you, you, uh, you, you started to play in bands then and more particularly, you know, affinity. Um, but you, you know, it, it sounds like your, your singing background was, um, you know, like you sang in choir and like, was that at church and like, how did kind of religion play a role in, you know, your, your upbringing? Sure. Um, Oh, that's a loaded question. Right? It, no, it, yeah. it is. I understand. It's a, <laughs> you don't, you don't have to have a, you know, a succinct answer for it. It's Okay. <laughs> Sure. No, I, I don't, well, I don't really believe in succinct answers, but anyhow. Um, so no, it wasn't in choirs, uh, or I'm sorry, it wasn't in like church choirs. Uh, it was in choirs, um, from elementary school on, I sang with the Metropolitan Boys Choir for a little while while I was like five, six, seven years old, um, which was like a traveling, uh, choir of sorts. Um, and then I sang in choirs all the way through high school. My choir director absolutely hated the fact that I was going out on the weekends and screaming. Um, so she was actually super cool and sort of had taught me a couple techniques. There's an opera technique called belting, which is essentially a controlled scream. Um, she was trying to teach me ways to not hurt my, my vocal cords and sort of set myself back from all of the... Uh, you know, all the schooling and teaching and lessons and, and, and everything that I had done up to that point. Uh, she was very, very concerned about my voice. Um, and so it was cool. She sort of stepped in and helped out. But then after, after high school, um, I had private vocal coaches down in Florida. I would fly up to New York every once in a while. Um, this is even when I was, uh, with further, um, I had private vocal coaches when I was in, uh, in action reaction, um, I still see a vocal coach every once in a while, even though I'm not really singing very much anymore, just to sort of keep my vocal health up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, a lot of study. I mean, the voice was, 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 and has been my main instrument or the, the one I spent the most studying, uh, and practicing and, uh, and, and actually utilizing, um, I started playing guitar when I was a kid too, cause my dad played guitar. Um, and he bought me my first guitar. I was probably like 12 or 13 years old. Um, so I'd focus on guitar a little bit too, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to the singing stuff, like it started at a very young age. Um, I knew like in first grade, you get those little, the teachers that, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, singer. Nice. Like I knew that I wanted to be a singer and a performer from a very, very, very young age. Um, but uh, I guess getting to the religion question, um, I used to go listen to my grandma sing in her choir. She like sang in a, in a Lutheran church, um, 
I guess my parents got married at that church. I guess technically I was kind of raised Lutheran. Uh, when I say kind of, I mean like, no offense, mom or dad, but, uh, you know, it was, we were like C and E Christians, like, uh, you know, Christmas and you showed up Christmas and Easter to, you know, give high fives to the neighbors and shoot a little gun. (laughs) Totally. totally. He's my family and they're all dolled up and we're doing our part as good Christian people. Um, but yeah, I was never raised Christian. My mom actually made a decision when I was younger, not to baptize me, uh, that I could do that on my own if I wanted to. Um, which I totally respect and thought was, was a very cool and thoughtful thing for her to do. Uh, uh, yeah. So I was never really like a big time Christian per se growing up. You existed Um, kind of in the ecosystem, so to speak. I existed in the ecosystem. Uh, it was funny. I was a rebellious kid. Um, and I, I asked too many questions and that, that kind of, uh, not necessarily to my mom or dad, cause they would usually give me some kind of answer. Um, but yeah, no, I like, I went to a couple like Bible classes and I usually ended up, you know, maybe Jason's not ready for this or he shouldn't come back when in actuality, I, I thought the questions that I were asking was like, well, maybe you guys aren't ready for this. Or like, <laughs> right. I'm asking some, uh, I'm asking some really pointed questions. I'm not getting reasonable responses for her. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, I'd be in like, I'd be in this and I, you know, I'd get these looks of disdain when I'm like raising my hand and being like, so I'm curious. So like all of his words are in red. Right. But, um, why do you guys pray to Mary when he says, don't pray to anybody else but me? I'm just curious. Like, can you explain this to me? And like, so if everybody's a sinner, why do you all hate gay people so much? And like, uh, these were questions. My older brother is gay. And so these were, were questions that I was always asking of the, you know, if Jesus loves everybody so much, how come there's so much hatred going on here? And, and, you know, why do you hide your liquor? I know you drink and, you know, things, things of this nature. I, it was, it was always maybe just call like a curious kind of soul or something. But, um, I was, I always thought that the teachings were, were super profound. Um, and I ended up, kind of getting, I wouldn't say like way into Christianity, but enough so that I was reading the Bible and, and sort of, you know, really trying to grasp the, the, the major, you know, themes and points and sort of the, the beauty of the whole thing, uh, a little bit later on in life. Um, but yeah, early on, it was never, it was never a huge focus. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call myself a Christian, but I think that's only because I don't know that I don't, I guess I, I'd be honest enough to say I don't necessarily have a strong enough grasp on those real answers to put a full foot forward. And I just feel like that's sure. honest, yeah. not like I have utmost respect um, for all religions really. And, and, and lots of people that uh, um, prescribe to those religions and listen, nothing is perfect in the world. So some, some dogs, you just got to let lie. But, uh, yeah, no, I firmly believe that there's as many denominations of Christianity as there are Christians. And I feel like people aren't very honest about that. Um, totally. No, I, I, I get where you're coming from. The, um, 
And so kind of, you know, focusing on your time, like once you actually started to, you know, play in Affinity and play shows and stuff like that, did you um, immediately take to playing shows? Like, was it, you know, as I guess everything that you wanted it to be, was it, you know, really exciting or were you, you know, nervous when you got up there for the first time or how did it all ping pong in your head? Well, sure. So the first band that was started uh, was actually called Manifest. It was me and Kevin Call. And then this kid, Brad Fox, played drums and this kid, Adam Wells, um, who I think he was also in Season of Fire. Oh, yeah. No, no. He played. Yeah. He played drums in Season of Fire. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, That's right. He played drums. That's right. Um, So Adam was on guitar. Kevin was on bass. Brad was on drums and I sang. And we did this uh, band called Manifest, which was really more of like a rock band or like a. Uh, maybe like kind of borderlining your like Blink 182 or, or Pennywise or some of the other pop, uh, like poppier punk bands that were happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of quickly transitioned because me and Kevin were really, really into hardcore. Adam ended up really getting into hardcore as well. Brad, not so much. Um, and so we pretty quickly transitioned to the hardcore band, which would become Affinity. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we were playing shows like Manifest was playing shows like in middle school at like house parties and, you know, things of that nature. It wasn't until Affinity started that we started playing like downtown Minneapolis a lot. There was this venue called the Foxfire Coffee Lounge, which was like totally, totally, totally instrumental in, in the whole scene that was happening in Minneapolis. I mean, I saw freaking everyone there. I saw... Oh my gosh. At the drive-in, Jimmy Eat World, Get Up Kids, uh, Ultimate Fake Book. And then you go into the hardcore stuff. And I saw Converge and Caven and Isis and uh, so many bands I couldn't botch. And like, yeah, I'm trying to remember some really memorable shows there. Like so many, uh, so many shows at this place. And we were playing there all the time. Um, I love, I, I, I love, I love not to interrupt your train of thought, but I love the experience of what you're talking about where, you know, you, you get to be that local band that, you know, pl- you know opens up the, the cool touring shows that come through and like, it, it's almost, you know, like you're excited to play and it's awesome. And you're playing in front of people that, you know, might not have ever heard your band, but the, it's that yep. element of also being like, dude, I can't even believe I get to play with botch or boys. It's fine. Like what the hell is happening? Like you just, it's almost an afterthought. You're like, I get to be on the same stage as these dudes. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Opening the Zayo when at one of the best shows we ever played, they, they didn't even show up, which was great, but, uh, <laughs> which wasn't great. But like, um, yeah, we played with, uh, we played with Zayo, um, right after their, uh, what is that? Liberate album came out. Yeah. Uh, so they were on the tour. Oh man. And they were so good. And I'd seen them before, but yeah, we landed like the main support, uh, for that show. And we played dude, totally packed house and then Zayo never showed up. So it ended up becoming our show, which is kind of funny. Um, but that was, that was a big like launching point for, uh, for the band affinity. Uh, that's where we sort of met the guy uh, Hardy who from dead droid records who ended up putting the album out um, and sort of, you know, bought us a van and funded us to go out. We're six, I think it was 16 the first time we went out on tour. And it's funny because we called it a, it was a tour, but it ended up being a, a two or it was six shows that turned to three shows that turned to like two and a half shows. 
some of the best, know. some of the some of the best early tours for most bands are like, hey, we're out for three, we're out for you know whatever three weeks, and we got like we got fifteen shows, and then like a week before, it's like so we got six. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, we played uh, we played in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, at a house show opening for um, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. Oh yeah. And then we went out to Detroit and played this really, really awful show with this band called Fetus that was like giving plastic fetuses out to everybody. And it was fucking weird. Uh, so that show was kind of a flop. And then the show in Pittsburgh uh, was cool, but there was like three people there. And then, uh, and then we got to New York and we played – the hell was the name of that band embodiment oh yeah yeah yeah. embodiment they were on tooth and nail yeah yeah we played with a band embodiment and i didn't know at the time but it was a showcase show um and all the tooth and nail people were there which is weird because it was you know i'd end up dealing with them at a later date right um but uh yeah so that show was cool but we got cut off we played like three songs and like that was it and then embodiment had to play which is fine and they were they were really great And then we got canceled in like the next like five shows. So we were just like driving around in the van, like just hanging. Yeah. yeah. Kids on vacation. (laughs) And then the last show of the tour was with this band who I still think are amazing. Uh, This band code seven from North Carolina. Oh, unbelievable. Dude, they were so good. So we played with them back when they still had like the two singers. The two singers. There was the guy. Hell yeah. Oh my Big Dave. God, they were so good. Big, Big Dave. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They such cool records. But yeah, so we played with them. Um and we got to play the whole set, and it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Because they were huge in North Carolina, like huge, huge. They must have crammed five hundred people into this like VFW that should have hold like maybe two fifty. Um, and this crazy fight broke out that like, I only could have imagined would have been like New York hardcore scene kind of thing back in the day. There was like one fight turned into two fights, turned into the band stopping big Dave's beating the living piss out of this guy and literally just turned to mayhem. Like these people just ripped this place apart. Like, I don't know if it was like. I mean, the Code Seven dudes weren't, weren't straight edge by any means. There was there was a lot of drinking going on at that show, yep. but uh, yeah. And then we basically were just like, you know, the next two, let's just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like this is crazy. <laughs> totally. So we like packed up and drove back to Minneapolis. So we ended up we only ended up playing like I think maybe four shows. It was supposed to be twelve. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like that kind of thing. So we always joke. Our, our tour you know um but again it was like first time you know i was young i was 16 so it was like first time like in a van with the dudes and uh you know first band fight happened when we were in new york uh because me and the bass player at the time his name was jared just really weren't getting along <laughs> and uh you know it was just it was so so much experience i mean i know there's like it's such a shared experience with a lot of people who have like started bands and like done the scene thing and like really done that independent thing um but yeah i mean that was like i was like cool i want to do this 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 is totally awesome right right Uh, this is is everything i thought it was going to be and more that's awesome 
Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so I, I'm jumping around here because, you know, clearly your, you know, your introduction to the Further Seam Forever camp and, you know, you've done 9 million interviews and people have done, you know, 400,000 think pieces on, you know, when you joined the band and, you know, I'm not going to uh, painstakingly go how you got introduced to the band because, you know, anybody with uh, internet access can find that. But, you know, I, I try to focus on more of the the kind of, you know, the feeling of the, the whirlwind that you were joining because, you know, th- they're... Anytime you're joining a band, regardless of if they're popular or not, that is, you know, an outside influence being introduced to a band. And, you know, all the dudes in Further are are, are cool, but like, you know, you're getting used to the way that they kind of do things. And then obviously the expectations of, you know, the previous things and all that stuff. Um, But, you know, something that I found interesting in watching that all kind of transpire as an outsider, when... You know, I'm sure for you, it was a big relief once you actually were able to kind of, you know, be yourself and I guess integrate more of who you were as not only a musician and a creative person um, in the band. Like, do you do you you kind of remember that moment of when it was like, oh, like I can be myself as opposed to just trying to, you know, not only mimic Chris, but then also be able to introduce yourself to the, you know, the business side of the band as well. Sure, definitely. I mean, it was... I'll try to make this as, as succinct as possible, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. It was unlike anything that I'd ever really done before. And I think mostly just because it wasn't something I was helming really. I was, I was, uh, you know, and it's funny cause it would kind of turn into the ultimate reason why I left the band is that I always felt whether it was true or not, I always kind of felt like hired help. Uh, like I was, like I was, I was Chris's, uh, I was Chris's replacement, you know? Um, which, which had its merits and I think ultimately drove me to um, make a super awesome record with them because, uh, you know, it, it was sort of like me proving that I, I wasn't just hired help and, and Chris's guy. But yeah, when I first met up with those guys, um, I actually had, I saw them play. So my band Affinity uh, played Stand Together Fest, I think it was called, or maybe it was Mixed Messages. I can't remember. There was a festival in Minneapolis um, that my ex-girlfriend, uh, or my longtime high school girlfriend had actually put this festival together. It was a, it was totally awesome and a success and a lot of really great bands played it. Um, but it was also the hugest flop ever. And everybody was worried that bands weren't going to come back to Minneapolis and yada, yada. But, um, so my band affinity at the time was, was pretty decently sized in the scene. Um, so we played, I think the, I think we headlined the first night, um, it was a big, super awesome success. Great show. It would end up being the last affinity show actually. Um, so it's kind of weird or serendipitous, like how this whole thing kind of worked out. The second night, uh, further seems forever played, um, with Chris. Uh, and it was one of the, like, I think 12 shows that Chris ever did with the band before he left. Um, so I felt super fortunate to, to have seen that. Uh, and at the time I had fallen in love with the moon is down at the time. It was like, it was my favorite record. I was like, listen to this super beautiful music and this guy's voice is great. And he's singing about all this stuff. And like, when I first heard that tune Monachetti, I was like, Oh my God, what an awesome, incredible song. Um, so I was like enamored with the band. So it was super cool to be able to see them play. Um, it would turn out, like I said, that that was the last affinity show. Um, it would turn out that Chris actually would only maybe do two or three more shows with the band, uh, with further that is. Um, so when Chris left the band, there was a, a tribute record to Weezer that was being put together 
um, by Dedroid Records, which was like lots of scene bands, uh, hardcore bands, emo bands, whatever, a lot, lot of different bands on the thing. It's a really cool comp, actually. But um, my band, Affinity, had done the tune My Name is Jonas uh, because it was Dedroid Records. So it was the, it was the record label that, that put out the Affinity record. Um, so he had us on as sort of like, you know, one of the label bands. Uh, and then he had enticed all these other bands. Well, one of the ways that he ended up enticing Further Seems Forever to do uh, the song, um, which they had already, already recorded, but were holding for some reason. Basically, Hardy, Affinity broke up. Hardy offered our van that he had bought us to Further Seems Forever in exchange for, uh, you know, releasing the recording so he could release this this. Weezer tribute, right? Tribute comes out. I'm sorry. Tribute doesn't come out because there's all these other bands holding the process up. But in the meantime, Chris leaves further and affinity has broken up and Hardy's like, well, listen, they're going to come get the van or blah, blah, blah. Or you got to figure out a way to get them the van. And then calls me back like maybe an hour later. And he's like, you know, it didn't even really dawn on me, but would you maybe like to audition for them? And I was like, hell yes. Like I would love to. So he put me in contact with them. Uh, I went to a studio and as odd as, as odd as this sounds like this is, this is young me just being like, well, this is going to be cool. Uh, I, for some reason, even though it doesn't make any sense in the world, did a cover of a Pedro the lion tune. Um, I love that. (laughs) That I really enjoyed. Uh, winners never quit. Um, and, uh, which is so odd because I'm like singing in like a like a baritone and like you know it just didn't make any sense. But anyhow, they liked it, uh, so they flew me down for an audition. Um, it was like super magical. I, I had, was like I said, I was already a huge fan of the band, so I knew all the work, I knew all the B sides, I knew the covers that they did. Like I, I really did my research. So when we went down. Um, which is funny. This is actually where the the title of the album came from. How to start a fire uh, is Steve, and this was something I was unaccustomed to. But before we did the the audition, Steve said a prayer, uh, and he asked that God breathe fire into me, and and you know successful audition and and yada yada yada. I thought that was really interesting and and what a like cool thing for someone to wish for me. Uh, and so we did the audition and, and we played every single song and they were like, well, what else do you know? And I was like, play anything. I know them all. I know every song. So we went through, it was super successful. It was like, I thought it was incredible. Uh, flew home the next day. And then Chad called me two days later and handed me this line about, uh, you know, they're going to go with somebody else, but if I wanted to come sell merch for them, I could, um, which I said, which I said yes to, because I was just dying to get in the van again. Uh, and then, you know, ha ha, whatever. I packed up my van three days later, packed all my belongings into it, moved to Florida, never looked back. Um, so now once I'm joining further, it's a very kind of different experience than I'm used to. And, and like I had kind of alluded to before, I kind of felt that pressure of being like Chris or, uh, you know, sounding like Chris. I mean, I, how to start a fire. And I toured with those guys for about a year and a half before how to start a fire even came out. So the first year of the band, uh, which was a pretty strenuous year, we played at least 250 shows that year. Um, it was all, it was all the moon is down. It was all Chris's tunes. Um, 
which was cool because I guess it kind of helped me find a voice within the band, like uh, like a timbre, anyways, um, to 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 be able to to move within their very loud. Uh, style of playing and 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 sort of how to sing when there's like hardcore happening and and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah it was like odd like i was like i don't know it's funny too because everyone just thinks that like oh well further was already a big band because chris was in the band and it would appear like that but that's not actually how it was the first couple tours we did as further scenes forever you know, we were playing to like 15 people. Well, yeah. Like no, it was. And to, to, inter- to interrupt your train of thought, just because I do like, uh, I, I felt uh, very connected to further just because like I was working at an independent record store here in Southern California. And like, you know, that was, it was like the infancy of the internet when those records started to, you know, like kind of come out and hit. And so like moon is down, you know, that came out and you know, a lot of people were, you know, hip to it immediately, but it was a slow build. And then plus, like you said, it's not like a lot of touring was done off of that record with Chris singing. So when you step, when you were stepping into this, like, yeah, you know, there were people who were interested in further, but not to the extent of what it happened after you released how to start a fire. That's like when it really kind of started to hit where people were, you know, playing catch up and like, Oh yeah, that's right. This record is really popular and like, whatever, you know, it's, yeah, I, I totally yeah. empathize. And it's, and it's interesting to people's views. Like I, I can understand how sort of everything happened very fast and sort of, you know, Chris blew up like overnight essentially. But when I had joined, like when I had joined further, Chris was still, you know, opening shows that I think were really smart of him to do, uh, not like in retrospect, but at the time was like, who is this guy with an acoustic guitar standing up there by himself opening for alkaline trio? Yeah. Or snap or snap case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or snap. He's like, what the hell is going on here? Totally. Somehow it translated and worked, which God bless him in the whole nine. Um, but at the time that I had joined, I mean, Chris was the singer from vacant Andes and he did the record with further and he was sort of a South Florida scene guy. Um, and that was kind of, and he did dashboard, you know, which was this acoustic side project thing that he had left further to pursue, which is probably good on him for doing that. I mean, the guy, you know, he's, he's now sold millions and millions of records and, and the rest is history. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting because a lot of people come and they view and they're like, oh, well, you know, further was just, just, uh, you know, they were, they were big already. You got lucky, which I did get lucky. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, when we first started our first tours, it was fun. You know, we were playing 10, 15 people, like, you know, just like any other band that starts. Um, obviously there was a label and there was a record out, which was, which was a, a huge kind of key component. And for us just to, you know, go, uh, from, from the time that I'd gone down there and we rehearsed a couple times, uh, it was easy to book tours and whatnot, but, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a sort of totally like, you know, different mentality. I feel st- super thankful to have sort of been able to help build the fan base around, uh, around the moon is down. Um, it was an album that I loved, so I didn't mind singing it, uh, at all, but yeah, it was definitely a huge, huge breath of fresh air to finally be able to get, you know, my own record out and, and, and be playing those, those songs as well, you know? Yeah, no, uh, I was for sure. Uh, and, and, 
and kind of on that same tip, the notion of, you know, you stepping into, because I, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that I would look at with, uh, you know, what you were saying is the fact that like, there was, there was promise with the band, you know, like clearly, you know, the wheels were in motion as far as, like you said, record label and, you know, touring started to happen. Like there was promise, but like you said, there wasn't that immediate, like you stepped into it and you started playing in front of, you know, 800 people a night. You had to work up to that. Um, but you know, as all of the kind of business stuff started to descend, upon you because you know I'm, I'm sure you had just experienced a really really small level of that previously um mm-hmm. was, was that uh i guess daunting for you or was that just kind of like well I, you know I, the business is the business and i'll i'll handle it as it comes but it's not something i'm overly interested in or did you try to throw yourself like really deeply into it initially or how did you kind of navigate that weird world um you know it's funny i this kind of like kind of reminds me like i guess the only way i can really say it is is people sometimes come up uh or have come up especially like when further did the reunion tour it was a lot of like hanging out and talking to people for hours after the show uh and people would come say things and it's always so incredibly humbling to me like you know something to the effect of like you know my brother killed himself because whatever reason and you know for some reason this album you know, I've listened to on repeat and it got me through that situation. And, um, it's sort of the beauty of lyrics is that like, uh, really that that's what you took out of that. Like you, they'd explain what something meant to them, uh, which was nowhere near the headspace that the line of the lyric had been written. Um, but obviously everybody can kind of take their own connotations to, to lyrics. And I think that's kind of a a beautiful part about it. So when I, when, when people say like, I always take that as such a humbling, uh, thing because that wasn't what I intended. You know what I mean? What I intended purely was to make myself happy. I know this is a weird roundabout answer to the question that you asked, but what I mean by it is that I never really, there wasn't a ton of thought You know, there wasn't a ton of like pining or like, it was kind of like, this is what I'm doing. This is my life. This is, you know, almost like life vomiting kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm doing it. I'm, I don't know if it was like, I wasn't intentionally doing anything. I guess that's, I guess that's maybe my, my point to it. Um, so the, the, the business aspect and the business part was never overwhelming to me because it was just a product of what I was doing um, at, at the time. In retrospect, I should have put a, a lot more thought into things and I should have uh, maybe thought the business angle a little bit more. But I think maybe that kind of harkens back to, you know, my hardcore roots and like, you know, it was it was more about what was happening than what would or could happen. You know what I mean? Um, no, that sort of- I, I really, honestly, I, what you just said, I think it really, really strikes a chord because I, I think when you're, you know, in the middle of it, you know, as large and or, or small as the thing you are doing is, you're just kind of, you're reacting, you know, it's very um, immediate as opposed to, you know, bands that start or bands or artists that, you know, have, the large ambitions to be, you know, on the radio and be the next, you know, whatever insert really popular artist, you know, name here, like that, that's the vision, you know, but like when you come from the world that we do, it's very much like one foot in front of the other. And then when there, even if there is a promise to do something larger, you're still just kind of reacting in that same, uh, mindset. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's funny because like that's like that's, I mean, we're doing am- amateur psychology here. I guess at the end of the day, my experience was super healthy because I was constantly living in the moment uh, rather than pining past or future. Right, 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 right. Um, and so when you kind of focusing on, you know, your, uh, you know, when you left further and, you know, obviously they continued on and put out other records and everything. Um, and, you know, clearly you picked up, like you said, your own, your own musical stuff afterwards from action reaction. And then the other project you mentioned earlier, um, was there, uh, ever a time where you kind of felt, um, I guess adrift, like, d- did you have any sort of identity crises going on in your head of like, you know, who, who am I now that I'm not in further seems forever? Or like, was that kind of, um, uh, relieving in some sense, or was there, um, other thoughts that were ping ponging around in your head? Well, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny because I feel like the biggest moment was who am I now that I'm in further seems forever. That, that was a, that was a, I mean, I know we touched on that, uh, a couple minutes ago, but to me, that was super like life changing and, and sort of like, I, I, when I made the further record, like I had done a lot of work over months, uh, writing the tunes and in the studio and demos and testing and, uh, and really was just doing my best to do my best Caraba, you know, um, couple days before the album, uh, was that I was supposed to go in and actually start tracking vocals. Um, I had this total mental freak out. I'll never forget. I was on the beach. Uh, I was with, uh, my girlfriend at the time who would end up becoming my wife and was sort of just, I like cried and I was like, I don't want to be, you know, I just want to do my stuff and I, you know, pressure. And so I went back in and we basically took, she helped me sort of formulate a lot of my thoughts and ideas that I was trying to put together as lyrics. And I rewrote and, and rejumbled and rewrote the melodies for the entire album in like a two or three day period. Uh, didn't sleep much was just kind of became like wildly obsessed with the process. That was kind of the first moment where it was like, okay, I'm me now. That's cool. I, I like this. This is good. This feels natural. When I left further, uh, in a really terrible way, I might add, I was young and I was dumb and as maybe a tad, uh, ego driven at that point. Um, you know, I left and yeah, I, I came to New Jersey and, and there was definitely a like, what now moment. Um, and as I alluded to before, I was doing this band, um, which is funny. The tunes are quite good. Like we recorded a bunch of tunes, um, I think my buddy Brandon, who was uh, playing in Further Seems Forever uh, at the time, he was the guitar player. He was one of my best friends growing up, actually, in Minnesota. Um, he was like a touring guitar player with Further. Uh, he was in the band, and, and I, think, I think he released the stuff somewhere uh, under the name Sunken Ship. Um, but they were damn good tunes, which is funny, like in retrospect, because I was listening to the tunes and I was like, this is not me. Like, this is not, this is like my attempt to like keep going in this scene and like, you know, and at the time, uh, you know, and I think I had alluded to before that further was never really, we were never listening to our contemporaries, you know what I mean? Like we were touring with Thursday, but none of us were purely fans of the band or like knew the band before we were touring with them kind of thing, you know, even though they were big and they were in the scene and we were in the same pool of people, it wasn't really. So when it came time and it was like, 
you know, Thursday is huge and all these big coheeds huge and all these, you know, I felt like that early attempt at doing something post further was, was definitely not what I was intended to do or what I wanted to do, or, uh, I didn't feel the connection to it anymore. It was just like, how do we write music that people in the scene are going to dig and like check out my riff man. And like, right. You know, it was, it was a lot of that kind of mentality. So it was just not, I don't know. I wasn't vibing with it. Yeah. That's, I guess like personal crisis number two. Um, in which case I, it was a really tough day. I sat everybody down and I was like, listen guys, like this is not, you know, not what I want to do. I knew it was going to be kind of, uh, not the end of my relationship with Brandon. Cause we're actually still very close. Um, but it was going to put a damper on things and it was, you know, I knew everybody was going to be disappointed and I felt like I was letting everybody down. Um, but what I just kept trying to stress to them is that like, it will, it will never be great because I'm letting you guys down once now. And if we continued in this, I'd be letting myself down over and over again. Uh, so it would never really be that great thing that we want it to be or that it could be because it just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. We're, yeah, I, I do like that um, kind of uh, retrospective uh, you know, lens that you can view this in where it's like, you know, you, you leave the band and then, you know, you see a lot of your contemporaries and you see, you see so many elements of, you know, where those bands ended up as far as like their level of popularity and like what you personally would have been comfortable with. And you were like, Oh, like, I'm glad that, you know, I, I stepped off when I did because I know the version of myself that would be up there in, you know, some larger band than what we were, would probably, like you said, been very, uh, you know, disingenuous or you would not have been ultimately happy. You know, and not that my first year in Further Seems Forever was disingenuous in any stretch of the imagination. I was a freaking kid in a candy shop. Totally, but, totally. Uh, it would have been a lot more like that. Yep. You know, feeling like I'm doing something that's not me. Right. It's per- it's performative. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, totally the um, last two things I want to hit on before I let you go was, um, you know, you, uh, as far as, you know, you as a person are concerned, um, you know, you, you are not, uh, you know, incredibly active on social media and you definitely have, uh, you know, I wouldn't go, this sounds dramatic, but like, you know, an air of mystery, like there, you know, there, there's definitely uh, stuff that you are personally willing to put out <laughs> that you're willing to put out there. Um, and, you know, and you are not, put, you know, you're deliberately making a choice to not put a lot of yourself out there. Um, is that, is that kind of just a comfort level off of like who you are as a person or is that kind of, you know, certain statements of like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the, uh, you know, or, or I'm not comfortable putting a lot of myself out there because, uh, you know, of what I experienced with, you know, further other instances in which you kind of felt like, Oh, that's not really me. Um, yeah, I think a bit of my mentality about it kind of is, um, you know, has to do a lot with, uh, shit, sorry, hold on a second. No problem. I have to take you off Wi-Fi. You there? I am here now. Yes. Okay, good. All right, cool. Um, I need to get out the door so I'm not echoing here. Okay, cool. Figured I'd make my my journey to work. Sure. We're wrapping up, but um, 
Can you repeat the question? <laughs> no, absolutely. I was just saying, like, you know, social media is definitely not something that, you know, you're incredibly active on. And, you know, there's a kind of a, uh, an air of mystery about you in regards to, you know, pe- people are, are curious about what you're up to from a, you know, musical perspective or whatever. Um, but, you know, like it, it, I, that is clearly a deliberate decision on your part to be like, well, yeah, like I'm not putting myself out there in ways that, you know, I, I may have in the past if I was, you know, looking to promote my band or whatever, you know, so um just just kind of curious about your uh, approach to that. Sure, totally. I mean, part of it was conscious. Part of it was uh, reactionary, sort of the not great press experience that I've get. I'm a tad long-winded, and I'm usually not one to pull punches. I, I Back to the beat of my own drum kind of thing. I don't... Uh, I never really prescribed to be a veiled type person. I don't think it does me or anyone else any good. So usually I end up saying lots of stuff and then people can take out of it whatever the hell they want to. Um, but uh, yeah, so part of it was reactionary in terms of some of the sort of bad experiences I'd had uh, and not really liking doing press. Um, and then also the other part of it is just like personal. Um, I'm kind of a private guy. Um, and you know, the people who know me or I take my time for, uh, will get all of me, but I can't give all of me to everybody. Um, which is, which is kind of part of it. Uh, there's also the aspect where it's like, I don't really care what you're eating and I can't imagine you'd care what I'm eating either. So why post it? Um, and you know, I, was already sort of established in my personal consciousness when social media started, you know, really ramping up and, and, uh, and, and sort of being the, the, the megalith that it is today. Um, and especially as it was sort of new and fresh to the music industry, um, it was also a weird growing pain time for the music industry because as the birth of social media and the internet and downloading, uh, was happening. The old ways and the old systems of the music business uh, were were failing rapidly. Uh, you there, still? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, you know, everything was sort of failing, and I was I was always getting, especially in action reaction, was was when I really was like, no, fuck this. I'm not spending my life on social media. Uh, you know, isn't that your guys' job? Like, it's my job to make music and, and, and write songs. And, like, do you really want me to spend two hours a day, like, garnering likes from people who don't actually like me? And what the hell is like? And, like, what does that mean anyways? And are we distorting the English language? And, like, you know, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it was, it was a lot of sort of, sort of tailspin. I was very... Uh, sort of defiant, which at the time, or, or I guess now in retrospect, it was probably silly of me as well, but say la vie and I love my life. So what, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, just this whole notion that like, I don't know when I said, when I said good, that you said you thought there was a shroud of mystery around me. Um, you know, some of my favorite artists and some of my favorite uh I, like, I don't care what they eat for dinner and I don't care what they, you know, I care about the music that they make. And like, you know, I used to get so angry that like, you know, people would post a comment and then as the artist, if you didn't comment back, then you were somehow 
a jerk, but how many great artists were jerks? I mean, I don't like, I guess I've never really <laughs> yeah. worried about people a jerk. Cause at the end of the day, if I took my time out to write Robert Plant a comment and he didn't hit me back, I'd be stoked about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. here's a fucking enigma. And, uh, why the hell would he write me back? Like, I, I just don't get that. Everything became way too accessible and artists became way too accessible. And, you know, the mystery and the lore and the, that was always sort of the, you know, the lure of the music industry. Like here are these people who, who make music, you know, to me, uh, Maynard James Keenan uh, of Tool is, you know, positively the prime example. Maybe he picked up the torch where like Prince left it. Not that Prince ever left it. Uh, I mean, I guess he's passed away now, but um, where it was like, I'm an artist. I make music. That's what I do. You don't need to know about me. You don't need to know. And, and I'll let controversy swirl and I'll let all these things. Cool. People are making up stories and that's awesome. It's a new storyline. It's almost like comic books and stuff. People are writing all these new narratives for, for the artists without the artist weighing in. The artist already does weigh in, in the form of their album. So, you know, I just, I, I never really liked social media, uh, as a tool for, um, for, I just thought it was such a cop out for the record label. Like, it's like, either do the work or spend the money. But like, I'm not sitting on social media, which may have been arrogant and egotistical of me to say at the time, or maybe egotistical of me to say right now, but that was just sort of my viewpoint on it. It was like, why, why am I being forced to do this thing that has nothing to do with the thing that I do? Because, you know, Action Reaction took a tour once with this band, uh, Megan Dia, um, which they were a great band, no doubt. Uh, honestly, I thought that it was, it was two, two sisters. They were singers. And they were both fabulous singers. Uh, and, and from an artistic perspective, uh, I thought they were a really cool band and a really great band to play with. But we took the tour based on the number of likes that they had on Facebook. And I kept telling my agent and my manager at the time, like, that's bullshit. Like, it's bull like, I don't care if they have a million likes or followers on Facebook. They're not bringing out more than 50 people at a show. And I just don't think this seems like a worthwhile, like when you look at the budget here and I was well into the business at this point, it just doesn't make any sense. No, no, it makes sense. They're just about to blow up. This is a huge profile piece for you. And bro, no, it was like 10 people at every show. I mean, it was like, it was right. all the biggest flop ever. And it really just cemented home. I mean, it, it sort of broke my relationship, uh, Action Reaction broke my relationship with the music industry, absolutely, uh, with my management and with my agents and everyone personal, because I was on a completely different trip than they were on. You know, had I listened to them, would things be different? Maybe. Would I still be uh, touring? Maybe. Probably not full time, just because I, I don't know that I'd want to anymore. Who knows? Who, who really can, uh, can, can pers- you know, prospect on that, really? But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I have always been sort of living in this like sort of backlash to social media just because I found I, I find it to be and I still find it to be very disingenuous. Um, you know, I could take the time to craft a vision of myself if anyone cared to look at it anymore. Uh, that could totally not be me. It's very easy to be whatever you want to be on the Internet. It's sort of the beauty of it. Um, but I would 
be much more akin to uh, playing a round of Dungeons and Dragons with friends and playing that game than trying to purport some mythical version of myself right. pass it off self on the internet i just i never really i just didn't never got it yeah you know? no 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 that, I, maybe that's it that got it you know yeah no I, I i i respect that and i see exactly where you're coming from um, the, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go is just the fact like, you know, you're, you're in New Jersey, you are, uh, you know, have a, a, a very stable life from like you, uh, you, you, you work at a restaurant or you, you own a restaurant or like, you know, I'm not trying to peel back the veil here, but, um, it, you know, it just, sure. sound, it just sounds like you're, you're obviously in a, a good spot from a life perspective. Um, and you know, because of that, I'm, I'm sure that the creative energy starts to flow of like, Oh, other fun stuff that you can do from a musical perspective. Cause like you said, you know, you're, um, you always want to be active. It's just a matter of, uh, figuring out the passion points for you. Yeah, totally. So, so I run a restaurant, uh, in, in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, I'm in the process of, uh, of, of uh, opening uh, a few more, um, to, to which I'll be, uh, I guess, ownership. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very active in my community in Montclair. I, I sit on a board of directors called the Montclair Center Bid, uh, which is a business improvement district. And we're basically, um, you know, we're a federally, federally funded nonprofit organization that helps promote um, business in town. We do events. We do like, uh, you know, we program park spaces and, uh, and, so we have a music festival actually coming up next weekend. Uh, which, there's a stage in town that's run by the bid um, called the Montclair Center Stage. And there's live music every Saturday night on, on Church Street. Um, so between the music festival that we do, uh, which is coming up this weekend, Cinco de Mayo, and we do an Oktoberfest celebration in December, um, you know, I usually curate and help curate uh, a lot of the bands that are playing uh, these festivals. Um so I get to be connected sort of in, in that scope. Um, I do go play with, uh, with friends from time to time. Um, every New Year's Eve, I've put a big 10 or 12 piece, uh, swing band together, um, and play at the restaurant. We do like a turn of the century gas kind of thing. The restaurant's set in an old train station that was built in 1913. So it's like kind of perfect, perfect decor and, and whatever for that. Um, so I, I still play some music from time to time. Um, there's, uh, yeah, I try to stay connected. Obviously, that that sort of passion to play music is still there. Um, I don't have as much time for it in my sort of uh, adulting uh, life. I'm quite busy with a lot of other passion projects at the time. But um, yeah, I guess if you're if you're asking me, are you asking me if I play music still? <laughs> uh, no, no. I just I just like the to paint the picture like that because I I think that there's this conception that. You know, if people aren't, um, you know, in active touring bands and like, you know, doing the whole thing, it's like that, you know, where am I going to find like, you know, happiness? And it's like, well, life is what, it, where you should find your happiness, the things that you care about. Yeah. You, you don't have to be on the road 300 days out of the year, you know? Yeah. Every day, every moment. I mean, whether it's a moment where like, you know, last Friday, uh, you know, the new, I don't know if you like the band Dr. Dog. Oh yeah, uh, I've been a fan for for a long time, uh, and they had sort of done this really cool lead up to the new album that they put out last week. And like, I still am like uh, that six year old me that listens to my dad's records. Um, I woke up on Friday morning, 
and I, I made myself a, a triple shot of espresso over ice, and I put on the Dr. Dog album, and like a giddy child, I listened to the record in its entirety and had like such an incredible moment with it, and like, you know, I'm an avid record collector. I still listen to music. It's still a huge part of my life. Um, I have a playlist that plays uh, at my restaurant, actually, that, uh, that I've put together on Spotify, which you can follow if you'd like. It's called Big and Friends 2017. I should probably change the date on that soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got, like, I don't know, eight, 900 songs on it. Uh, you know, so I really enjoy doing that and sort of setting the, the mood and, and sort of the, uh, the vibe of what's going on uh, at, at my restaurant space, at, uh, you know, the creative space that, that I'm in now. Um, my job is actually very, very creative. I still get to tap into, uh, to, to a lot of that stuff when it comes to, um, to running the restaurant and actually running a restaurant is very, very similar to, or, or being in the restaurant life is very similar to being in a band life. Um, your time schedule is skewed a little bit later. Everybody gets in a little bit early and they do all this prep and all this setup and all this thing so that back of house can make art and front of house can perform it. Um, and then it happens in a whirlwind and then you break it all down and do it again the next day. Um, that's, that's this, true. That's true. You know, the chef that I work for is, is uber, uber talented rock star. One of the best men I've ever met in my entire life. He's, uh, he's a badass. He's an incredible man and one of the best I've ever met. And, you know, I, I guess what I was saying was, uh, you know, he's sort of the lead singer of the band and I'm the guitar player, um, which is sort of an interesting uh, position to, to think about if you kind of thought about it in, or when I, I've been thinking about it in that scope. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, love, I love doing what I do at the restaurant. Uh, I really do enjoy my job and I enjoy my civic activities outside. Um, sort of helping out with the business community in town. And, and that's sort of like my sort of adult uh, version of, of, of doing creative things. Um, but that's not necessarily to say, and I guess this is probably where I got cut off, um, is, you know, I, I still aspire to make music. I still do make music. Um, I have a number of songs written that at some point I'll put a band together and, and we'll play. Uh, I have another project that I plan with friends, which is totally a basement vanity project where we're like kind of messing around with like, uh, everything from like Afro pop to Zydeco to, you know, dance hall reggae and, and, and sort of some other, you know, types of, uh, or genres of music that, that we really enjoy collectively. Um, I still play in the, I'm totally going to drop this right now. Um, so I have this hardcore band. Uh, we actually have a record and it's, it's on Bandcamp. Um, I'm going to scare the kitties away with this one, but the band is called Mouth Breath. Uh, and the album is called You're Welcome. I definitely recommend anyone checking it out. It's the best heavy album to come out in the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> I love it shameless self-promotion. Yep. Um, but it was funny. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was some of the people who were in old wives and some other very, very talented musical friends. Um, kind of, we, we got snowed in one day and got really drunk. Um, and we're like, let's go in the basement and make some punk music. Like, let's go just like, let it all out kind of thing, you know? So we, we went downstairs in the basement and we ended up writing like five songs the, the first day that we were, were, were doing it. 
And it was this really fun project where we all chose stage names um, and, and sort of alter egos. And it kind of turned into this sort of like performance art meets it's, it's heavy, it's thrash, it's hardcore punk metal. It's totally irreverent and, and ridiculous and silly and uh, a super, super fun band. We, we play like once a year. Um, we're going to be playing again in August, actually, which I'm quite looking forward to. But I'm the Reverend Halkis Black in the band, and I wear a mask, and I wear a bathrobe, and... Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. And combat boots, and it's you know, and it's and it's goofy, and you know, we order pizzas on stage, and and then rip into some some hardcore, and I mean, we've we've done all sorts of really weird shit, but uh, yeah, that one was never really talked about much, though. There's a lot of very questionable content in there. I figured would have scared uh, most fans uh, of anything <laughs> I've done before away. Yeah, um, but, well, but I mean, as long as it's viewed to the correct prism, then you know, people can uh, people can digest it as they will. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I still do that. The last musical project uh, that I did that I actually released an album was this band Old Wives from New Jersey, um, which is my favorite thing personally that I've ever done in terms of like musical accomplishment. Um, the goal of the band when we started with some ex-touring musicians and, uh, and, and, uh, and whatnot who were in the band, and none of us really wanted to do the full, like, let's go get a record deal and let's go... Uh, do that. The, the goal of the band was just to, to write something that we felt was amazing and that we were really proud of, uh, and that you know didn't need to be heard by anybody, but should be kind of thing. Um, and so we we did this album, uh, and on top of the goal of being awesome, the the goal of recording the album was let's make this as absolutely live as possible in the studio. Um, you know, let's not. So we didn't use any click tracks no beat detection, no auto-tune, no studio wizardry whatsoever. Um, the sound of the band, there's very minimal overdubs uh, uh, throughout the album. Um, even the horn section played live with us uh, a number of times uh, during the tracking of the album. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big band. There's like, uh, I think it was like nine or ten pieces. Uh, full horn section. It's like funky, groovy, spaced out, psychedelic rock, pop, thing um which we played for a number of years and and had a pretty decent following in the area we never really left new jersey or new york but again that wasn't really the the point of the thing so i mean, it's still active i still i still do music it's just not uh it's not the like main focus and and goal of my life anymore it's now become more like supplemental i guess yeah no it makes makes perfect sense well, Jason, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. It was uh, was really fun to kind of dig deep and nerd out about all this stuff. Uh, yeah, I just appreciate your time, man. Oh, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's been totally awesome. Good. Absolutely. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thanks. Well, so thanks for asking me to do it. Radical. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Jason. I know I personally did. And listening back to it, I was like, man, that was a fun one. You know, because sometimes I record these things well in advance and I don't listen to them until, you know, I'm prepping it for release. And uh, yeah, I revisited this one and boy, it was fun. So next week, uh, we are not off. I'm going to be releasing an episode on July 4th. Happy 4th of July and party and be safe with whatever you're doing, which of course I'll tell you next week as well. But next week is Niraj Kane. He is he is a very prolific musician. He's played in Hope Conspiracy, Suicide File, Hesitation Wounds, Beginners. 
just always plays plays in bands and is kind of a go-to guy when it comes to people looking to put together something cool musically, whether it's aggressive or not aggressive. He's just done a lot of cool stuff. Also played in a band called Holy Fever. Uh, but Naraj is, uh, yeah, just a, a, a real interesting guy and someone who I've wanted to have on the show for a while. So, uh, he came over to my house and we did the damn thing. So that's next week. And I would be remiss if I did not mention, I went to warp tour and RIP warp tour. I went last week and went to the San Diego date and just wandering around there. Um, it was, uh, it was very nostalgic because you're just like, man, I've been, I, I think I counted. I think I went to like 17 warp tours out of the, you know, 23 or whatever. So I missed a couple of years, but man, warp tour, just, it's, it's a sad thing. It's going away, but I'm was really glad I was able to say goodbye to it. So if you are, uh, kind of, you know, on the fence on whether or not you want to go, just go. Cause you've probably been to like a few warp tours before. So just, you know, bid the tour a fond farewell and, uh, yeah, set it off into the sunset. So anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw podcast network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.